Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church, located in Newberry, Florida, where Rocky McKinley is our lead pastor. Thanks for tuning in. Here's today's message. Well, this is week three, week three of Little as Much. This is the last week of this series. The first week of this series, I told you that God loves impossible odds. We looked at Judges chapter 6 and 7, where Gideon started with 32,000 men, and God, God dwindled that number down to 300, drastically outnumbered. Gideon's army didn't seem to have a fighting chance, but God delivered them against their enemy. And I told you on that first, uh, that first week of the series, I said impossible odds set the stage for amazing miracles. Impossible odds set the stage for amazing miracles. Then last week we looked at Matthew chapter 13 where Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven is like the mustard seed. He spoke about the characteristics of that mustard seed. And then we turned over to Matthew 17 and the disciples, they asked Jesus, they said, why could we not cast out that evil spirit that you did? You cast out an evil spirit, but when we tried, it didn't work. And Jesus answered them and said, because of your little faith, he rebuked them for their small faith. He said, because of your little faith, that's why you couldn't heal that child. He went on to say, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed. Notice that Jesus never said that faith the size of a mustard seed. That's how we always like to quote it. But it's not the size of a mustard seed that will move mountains. Uh, Jesus, he, he wasn't uh, emphasizing the size of a mustard seed. He was stressing the character of of that mustard seed that he had talked about a few chapters er earlier. Because mustard seed faith starts small, but it doesn't stay small. Mustard seed faith grows, and that's what has to happen with our faith. And under the right circumstances, your faith has the opportunity to grow, and it often looks like a, an opportunity for a trial or, or, or something that you're going through, or maybe just a step of faith that God's asking you. That's your opportunity for that faith to grow. Now, today, I'm going to start this sermon a little bit different than I do most of my sermons. There, there's no opening story or joke or anything like that, because I've got some territory that we need to cover today, and I want to make sure that as we close out this series that, that I include all of that. There are only two miracles that are mentioned in all four of the Gospels in your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's only two miracles mentioned in all four of the Gospels. The most significant of those miracles is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All four gospel writers thought that the moment that Christ was raised from the dead was worthy of being recorded. And I think that we could all agree with them that it is worthy of being recorded. We needed that. That one moment in history secured everlasting life for all that call him their Lord. If he is Lord of your life, then you have everlasting life through that single event. And that event is the basis of our faith. And, and all four writers thought, let's include that. The only other miracle that is mentioned in all four of the Gospels is the feeding of the 5,000. That's the only other miracle that you will read in all four of the Gospels. And, and this is the time, a very familiar story, where Jesus took five loaves of bread and two fish, and he feeds 5,000 men plus the women and children. This historical event is mentioned in Matthew chapter 14, Mark chapter 6, Luke chapter 9, and John chapter 6. All four of these Gospels include this story. And like the resurrection, this was an event that caught the full attention of all four gospel writers. 
But we also know that according to 2 Timothy 3 and 16, that all Scripture is God-breathed. That all Scripture in your Bible is God-breathed, inspired through the Holy Spirit. Yeah, there may have been men and women writing, but God is the one that poured this into them because it was important for humanity to grab this. And I would say that if God included it in all four Gospels, and the only other miracle that trumps it is the resurrection of Christ, then this miracle is worth paying attention to. Wouldn't you agree? If God includes it in all four, it's worth paying attention to. So today, I want us to read from John chapter 6, because there is a, a significant detail that John records that the others do not. So turn with me, if you will, to John chapter 6, as we read where Jesus feeds the 5,000. John chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When, they saw, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Now, as you go through all four of the Gospels and you begin to read this story, you'll find that there are some similarities. That as they record this event, this historical event, that there were certain things that stood out in their mind that, that all four of them said happened. They all say that Jesus had the people sit down. That in order to feed them, he needed them to be seated. They all say that Jesus started with five loaves and two fish. They all agree on that. They all say that Jesus took the bread, blessed the bread, and then gave the bread. As a matter of fact, every time Jesus touches a loaf of bread in scripture, he does the exact same thing with it. He, he takes the bread, blesses the bread, and then gives the bread. And all four gospels also say that there were 12 baskets of leftovers. 12 baskets of leftovers that Jesus had them gather up. But John shares with us an important detail that the other gospels do not. And that detail is in verse 9, where John writes, there is a boy. I want you to say a boy. One boy. One. Not many. Not a group of guys. Not a bunch of kids. 
One boy, there is a boy. He tells us that the five loaves and the two fish belong to a young boy, one boy. One kid has the only food that can be found for miles. Now, you've got to love this kid's preparedness. You've got to appreciate that. For those of you that like to plan ahead, you appreciate this because uh, there are grown men and women in the crowd that they were so caught up in the hype of Jesus that they forgot to pack a lunch. They are so excited to hear Jesus speak on this particular day that they don't even remember that they've got to eat later on in that day. But this one kid did. This one kid remembers to take a lunch with him. Now, now I don't know about you, but some of the parents in the room, you'll appreciate this. I know my 18-year-old twins. And I know that they don't think like that at all. That if they were going to hear Jesus speak somewhere, they're going to walk out of the door and they're not even going to plan ahead because they can't do it without their mama planning it for them. That's truth right there. I'm preaching right now. I'm preaching to you, woman, right there. I'm preaching right now. One of the greatest things that's happening in her life right now is my daughter being away at college, learning how to survive without her mama. It's great. I love this part of the whole transition. This is going really good for me. And I, I'm, I'm kind of sitting back and enjoying the, the show as it, as it goes along. But, you know, she's, she's calling mama and saying, mama, how much uh, detergent do I put in the laundry? You know, and, and, and questions like that. You know, how to cook certain things in the microwave, you know, because that's all she has in her room, you know. And so, so, so she's calling and it's still, but, but her being seven and a half hours away, it's working out. But I know my 18-year-old kids, I know that they would not think that far in advance and they would be out there with that multitude, out there with that crowd, starving like the rest of them. But as far as this young man is concerned, someone thought ahead. Someone actually planned this out. Maybe it was he. Maybe he was just one of those extremely responsible kids. You know those kids. You hate those kids. You do. Because they're not your kids, but you know they're out there. And they, they are extremely responsible and they plan ahead. Or, or maybe it was his mother. Maybe his mother thought this thing out. That, that on his way out the door to hear the motivational speaker that he will get extra credit for for listening to when he goes back to school at the synagogue, his mom hands him a sack lunch with five loaves and two fish and kisses him on the cheek and says, have a good day, son. Or maybe, maybe it was his father. Maybe, maybe he's a single father who's doing the work of two parents and maybe he sacrificed that day so that his son could have food and the dad went without. We don't know. There are not any details shared about this kid except that it was a kid with five loaves and two fish, and John is the only one that tells us about this kid at all. Whatever the case, this boy has food. Whoever pre-planned, this kid has food. And in order for Jesus to perform this miracle, he needs something to multiply. In order for him to feed the multitude... 5,000 men plus their families. In order for him to do this, he wants something to multiply. That's all that God is looking for. In our lives, day after day after day, all God is looking for is he wants something to multiply. Because everything in the kingdom of God leads to multiplication. It's divine mathematics. It, it works. He, he may have to subtract some habits from your life. 
He may have to divide some friendships that are not life-giving for your life. He may have to add some other relationships that will help disciple you. But ultimately, it all leads to God's blessing. And when God blesses something, it always multiplies. Every time God blesses something throughout Scripture, throughout history, every time God blesses something, it always multiplies. And so let me tell you what this tells me about my own life and, and about your life. If you want your children to grow in their faith, then, then add some church attendance and some family discussions about the sermons. Talk to them about what they learned in children's church and, and what they, they, they talked about in youth group. Add some of that in and, and then watch as their faith is multiplied. If you want your relationships to grow, Add some friendliness and watch them multiply. Because the Bible tells us, if you want friends, show yourself friendly. It's sowing and reaping. If you want your finances to grow, oh, here we go. It's been a while since I've talked about finances. Somebody's going to complain, I promise you. And it's always the people that don't give. But never mind, never mind about that. If you want your finances to grow, give some to the kingdom of God and watch God multiply your finances. It's the principle of sowing and reaping. And it is a law that God himself created. And it cannot and it will not be broken. If God created that law, it's going to happen. And whatever you sow is what you will reap. Now here's the dangerous part. It works for both the positive and the negative. If you sow positive seed, then you're going to reap a positive harvest. If you sow negative seed, you are going to reap a negative harvest. Whatever you sow is what you will reap. Luke 6 and 38. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. Listen to this, for with the measure you use it will be measured back to you. Jesus just wanted something to work with. Standing before 5,000 men plus their families, he just wanted something to work with. He just wanted a seed offering. That's all he wanted, just a seed offering. It's not that he, he needed it. Don't, don't misconstrue what I'm trying to tell you today. Jesus didn't need it. He could have made whatever he wanted out of thin air. If he needed five loaves and two fish, he could have just, just said it and it would have happened. Uh, regardless of what you've been forced to believe in our society, God spoke and created the heavens and the earth. So all he has to do is just say it and it's there. It appears, it happens, it comes to life. God doesn't need what you have. He can make his own, but he wants what you have. And there's a difference because that's where the law of sowing and reaping comes into effect. If he just takes it from you, you don't have the opportunity to sow it. And so God gives us this choice. He gives you the choice that he desires what you have, but, but do you want to give it to him? So Jesus takes the boys' bread and fish. Now, I, I'm being honest with you. They don't include the details of this. And because of flannel graph and children's church and Sunday school and growing up, I've got this picture in my head that this, this kid just willingly just hands it over to him. Like, 
Yes, Jesus. I mean, you remember being taught this as a kid. For those of you that were raised in church, yes, Jesus, you can have my lunch. It's, it's for you. You do whatever you want to with it. I don't know if that's how it went down or not. I kind of picture the, the disciples having to hogtie this kid over on the side while they take it and just, trust us, kid. He's the master. Just trust us. No, that's my only food. You know, Mama gave that to me before she kissed me on the cheek. You know, I don't know how it went down, but I know this. Jesus ends up with the five loaves of bread and the two fish in his hands. And in his hands, that's where things begin to multiply. That's where greatness happens. So Jesus takes the boy's bread and fish. He, he takes his Long John Silver's value meal of fish and hush puppies, and then he blesses it. And whatever he blesses multiplies. Little became much in the hands of the Messiah. He fed 5,000 men plus women and children because of what we'll call one little boy's generous heart. That's what my Sunday school teacher said anyway. And I just wonder, I wonder, church, what would happen if we would all cultivate a culture of generosity in our own lives, in our own families, in our own church, in our own marriages. What happens when we just try to outgive each other? When we try to outserve one another? What does that look like? How does that change who we are? How does that change the culture of what we've been pre programmed with? What does that look like when we just try to cultivate a culture of generosity? Some of you are thinking, well, I don't have much to offer humanity. You may only have five loaves and two fish, but that's all that God wants to work a miracle. This is another one of those moments where faith has the opportunity to grow, where little becomes much. Because what if, if I give what little I have to offer? What if you give what little you have to offer? What if he gives what little he has to offer, or she gives what little she has to offer? What if they give what little they have to offer. Because it's in those moments that little becomes much. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. I have this collection in my office. It's in a three ring binder about that thick that I bought in the late 80s. And inside of that binder, sitting on a shelf in my office, it's, it's traveled with me every time I've moved there's the original complete set of the 1989 NBA Hoops basketball cards. The complete set. You're impressed, I can tell. <laughs> All 343 cards in this book. You flip the pages, you can see the cards, you can see the front, you can see the back. Let me tell you how I acquired these cards. A lot of hard work, determination, and I may have even stolen a pack or two. 
but I did not buy them as a complete set. I would go down to this convenience store that was down the street from the house that I was growing up in, and I would buy the individual packs, like 10 cards in a pack. And I would buy them, and I would put them in order in this, in this book that I had. Trying to get up to number 343, trying to get all of the cards there. You know what happens when you buy packs of cards? You get a lot of repeats. There was a, a furniture store in, in downtown Perry, and, and the, the, the guy that owned the store was a card collector. And he had a lot of memorabilia. He had a corner of his store set up. And, and we would go there after school. We'd walk down there and we would take the extra cards that we had and we'd walk in to trade. And we would trade with other students to, to try and build their set and to build our set. That's how card trading works. And, and so uh, this, this was huge. It was the first time in history that basketball cards actually became more popular that year than baseball cards. It's not that way anymore, but it was for that one particular year. It was huge very first set of NBA hoops. There are a few cards that were just hard to get because they only printed a, a few of them. One of them was the, the David Robinson rookie card where he's, he's holding it up, holding up the jersey. Valuable card. By the time that I collected all 343 of these cards and had them in my book, I had another box of these cards in order, numbered, and I was only missing 12 to have a whole other complete set of these cards. I was serious about this. And some of those cards are really worth a lot, like that David Robinson I was mentioning. That, that card's worth some money today. There was a Michael Jordan All-Star card, worth some money today. But there were other cards that I looked them up recently. They're only worth a few pennies. You know, some of these players that, that didn't really matter, they were not the stars. Pretty much anybody that played on the Lakers and even the Detroit Pistons championship card, just worthless. I really don't know. I don't have a clue. But anything with Detroit Pistons on it is worthless in my book, being a Celtics fan. Okay? So, so just, just worthless. But let me tell you what happens with these cards. Some of them, for real, some of them, they're only worth three and four cents a piece. Even as old as they are, three, four cents a piece. Let me tell you what happens. These cards become more valuable when they are with the complete collection. Because as a whole, the card collection's worth more. And that, my friends, is the body of Christ. It's the church. Individually, we may not amount to much. You know that. You know your history. I know some of your history. I know my history. And individually, we may not amount to much, but collectively, we are the body of Christ. Have you ever thought about that? Do you know how valuable that is? We are the body of Christ. He could have chosen anything else to represent him. But when he breathed his Holy Spirit of life, he breathed it into us, the church, the body of Christ, for us to be his representatives his ambassadors to this world, he called us to be that. Now, by myself, I'm worthless. I'm useless. But with you, 
I'm valuable. And let me tell you this, you are more valuable because of that person sitting next to you that's part of the body of Christ. No, you don't think that because you had to ride with that moron to church, but still, you are more valuable because of that person or, or the person sitting across the aisle from you right now. Together as a whole, we, we bring our value up. But, but, but here's a sobering thought. You ready? But you can only account for your actions, not the person sitting next to you, not the person across the aisle from you, not even for the pastor. You can only account for your actions. That means nobody else can volunteer for you. It means no one else can give your offering for you. That means no one else can do what you can do for the body of Christ. It's your five loaves and your two fish. And only you can determine if you're going to put it in the master's hands. Imagine with me that after the hurricane that, that you called me and you said, Pastor, I need you to come over and help me. I, I need help with some physical labor because there's been some limbs that have fallen in my yard. And I need you to help me move them. And just, just think with me, as, as crazy as this is, what would you think if a delivery man came to the door and handed you a little box and you opened that box and all I sent you was my finger? Ludicrous, right? Just crazy. What if I just sent my... You, I, here's where my mind went as I was preparing this sermon. Anybody ever played that joke where you have the box, the small box, it's got the, the cotton in the bottom of it, and you cut a hole in the bottom, you stick your finger up through it, lay your finger over, and you give the gift to somebody, and they open it, and there's a finger laying in the box, and they're like, <gasps> you know, then you just pull your finger out, and the joke's over, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> only me? I'm the only one? <laughs> Been nice knowing you. Thank you. <laughs> You'll have a new pastor by, by next Sunday for our 10-year anniversary, I'm sure. How crazy would it be if you needed me to come over and physically help you move limbs and I only send you my finger? I gave you the finger. <laughs> How nuts would that be? No, you need me to show up with my full physique. You need all of this is what you need. You need me to come over and, and lift branches and carry them out by the road so that the garbage man can come by and pick them up, right? That's what you need. But yet sometimes the body of Christ, we're not sending all of our members, all of our parts. We're not sending all of them. Because some of us just won't step up. We won't give the five loaves and the two fish because... We want to keep everything right here or we think we don't have enough to offer because we're too insignificant. And all he's asking for is just what you have. That's it. Just give me what you got because he needs the whole body operating in the body of Christ. And he needs that body operating in the right spirit. Listen, I've been a part of some churches where people, where, where, where they give to the church to obtain power. Don't fool yourself about giving. That's not power. Your best offering by itself is not good enough. That's just the power of one. But when you give with other people in the church, you are connected to the power of everyone that is in covenant with that church. And that's how amazing things happen in the body of Christ. We watched it. 
In 2014, we watched it happen when we collectively as a body, we said, you know what? We want to build a chapel at, at, at that orphanage in, in Guatemala. We want to be a part of that. And over a period of about three months, we raised $25,000 out of our pockets so that we could fund that. The money that I gave to that project by itself would not have come close to building that. But collectively, with you, with the body, we accomplished something great. There are very few people on this planet that have an extra $500,000 laying around to invest in a church's vision of building. But collectively, we have raised over $503,000 to fulfill that calling. By yourself, you are worthless. But inside of this body, you are priceless. And all he says is, what do you have? What do you have? If all you have is five loaves and two fish, that's all I want. But that's what I want. And if you put that in my hands, I'll multiply it. I will do amazing things with five loaves and two fish. On September the 11th, 2001, United Flight 93 was scheduled to depart at 8 a.m. But the Boeing 757 departed 42 minutes late because of runway delays. Six minutes later, American Airlines Flight 11 crashed into the World Trade Center's North Tower. 15 minutes later at 9.03, United Flight 175 crashed into the South Tower. And United 93 was climbing to cruising altitude, heading west over New Jersey and then in, into Pennsylvania. At 9.25 a.m., Flight 93 was above Eastern Ohio and its pilot radio Cleveland controllers to inquire about an alert that had flashed on a screen as a cockpit. On the screen it said, beware of cockpit intrusion. Three minutes later, the cockpit was hijacked by terrorists that wanted to destroy America and everything that it stood for. They took over the plane's controls, they disengaged autopilot, and they told passengers to remain seated that there was a bomb on board the plane. And within six minutes, the plane had changed course and was en route to Washington, D.C. Many of you know this story about a 32-year-old man by the name of Todd Beamer, who along with some other scared but determined brave men and women decided that they had to do something because through phone calls with loved ones, the passengers were informed of the World Trade Center attacks. They knew that something was not right and that this plane too was going to be used as a terrorist bomb. Todd Beamer made contact on the phone in the back of the plane with a GTE airphone supervisor. And on that phone call, Beamer informed that supervisor that, that he and some of the other passengers were going to jump the hijackers drive the plane into the ground to prevent another tragedy. With that supervisor on the phone, 
Beamer, who came from a Christian home, recited the Lord's Prayer in Psalm 23. The supervisor said that she could hear him asking others to join in and pray with him. Beamer told the supervisor, he said, if I don't make it, please call my family and let them know how much I love them. After this, Beamer said to the other passengers, are you ready? Okay, let's roll. And those were Beamer's last words on the phone call. This group of people successfully prevented another attack on Washington, D.C., saving who knows how many lives. All because there was an opportunity in front of them that was extremely scary, but they knew they had to do something. One had to be willing. You put that one with a combined group effort and little becomes much and lives are saved. Your five loaves and two fish, it's all he needs. It's all he wants. But it's required. If you want the master to multiply it, it's required. It becomes faith. This is those opportunities that you have to grow in your faith. To recognize that we as the body of Christ, though we can't do much as individuals collectively as a whole, we are amazing because of the one we serve. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. We pray you have been blessed by today's message. We would love to meet you in person. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org or call the church office at 352-472-3284. Thanks again for listening. Destiny Community Church, for life's journey.